Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word quickened means made alive. So what he's saying is, you have been made alive by the power of God who were once dead in trespasses and sins. How many of you know we who are children of God, we who are blood-bought, born-again believers in Christ, this morning we used to be spiritually dead, but we've been made alive in Jesus. It's amazing. We've been, he's made us alive. He's quickened us. Verse 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle. In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now how do we know that describes me perfectly to a T, pre-Jesus? I wasn't living to please God. I was living to please me. Living according to the desires of the flesh. We're by nature the children of wrath. That's where I was. But I love this next verse. Dr. Tony Evans says, when you see the but God verses in the Bible, you can erase, completely erase what was previously said. So, so remember what he, what he told us here. We were children of wrath under the condemnation of God because of our sin. The Bible teaches that we were God's enemies spiritually Dead in trespasses and sins. But now watch this. Look at this in the very next verse. Verse 4. But God. All of that is erased because of the finished work of Jesus. Look how he puts it. But God who is rich in His mercy for His great love whereof He loved us, even when we were dead, dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with who? With Christ. Because of who Christ is. Because of what Christ has done. We've been made alive with God Himself. What an amazing truth. I'm so thankful this morning that we have the but God verses, aren't you? Take your Bibles. Turn with me over to John chapter number 14 is what we'll look at in just a moment. That wasn't my message. I just had to share that with you today before we get started. But this morning what I want to do is preach to you on the subject of the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. The person and the work of God the Holy Spirit. I am so very thankful for the great privilege that God has given me to stand before you today with an open Bible and share with you this, this powerful uh, truth straight from His precious, powerful Word. Now, why am I so uh, excited and thankful that I got this privilege? Well, I'll tell you why, folks. This truth is absolutely life-changing if we can get a hold of it. I'm telling you. It's very important that we do get a hold of it. See, what I'm going to share with you today, this is not optional for the believer. This is mandatory for the believer. What I'm going to share with you this morning, listen, it's not incidental. It's fundamental to everything we believe and do as the body of Christ. This is foundational for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ as we operate in this world. We must understand realize the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. If we don't, if we are ignorant to the person and work of God the Holy Spirit, how do you know we can never be successful as a follower of Jesus? If we are ignorant of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we'll never be an overcomer. If we are ignorant of the person and work of God the Holy Spirit, we'll never be a soul winner. If we are ignorant of, God, of the person and work of God the Holy Spirit, we'll never be the husbands and fathers, wives and mothers that God has called us to be. 
that God has commanded us to be in His Word. So listen, we must understand the person and the work of God the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning what I want to do is just begin by telling you who He is. Now, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I want you to write this down. The, uh, the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a He. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a He. And I emphasize that because I hear a lot of preaching and teaching on the Holy Spirit. And that's really how they refer to Him, more of an it than a He. How many of you understand this morning that God the Holy Spirit is a person? Now why do I say that? I say that because, listen, the Holy Spirit, uh, he, he, uh, um, he has emotion. He emits emotion all throughout the, the, the New Testament. You see it over and over and over again. Now, if he exudes emotion, that means he must have a personality. And he has a personality because he is a person. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30. I love this verse. It teaches that God the Holy Spirit can be grieved. What does it mean to be grieved? To be grieved, I think, is a, a mix between being angry, frustrated, and downright disappointed. And the Bible says that God the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can exude emotion. He can be frustrated. He can be angry. He can be disappointed. And the Bible warns against us grieving God the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about why that is in just a moment. But He can be grieved. I remember, let me see if I can illustrate what grief, what being grieved really means in all of our lives. I remember not too long ago, my wife had bought for me a big box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Can you say me? And I got up on a Saturday morning, went through my regular routine. Went into the kitchen, started a pot of coffee. And while the coffee was brewing, I remembered that big box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And so what I did is rummaged around there in the cabinet and pulled out my soup pot. You know, the, the, the soup pot is what you uh, would use to cook chili or chicken noodle soup. That's also my cereal bowl. Now, why is that my cereal bowl? Two reasons. First of all, I mean business. I'm not fooling around. I'm a serious cereal eater. I'm a cereal connoisseur, as a matter of fact. And this soup bowl, this soup pot, has a handle on it. Praise God. And so I poured all the cinnamon toast crunch I could fit into the soup pot. Got me a big old spoon. Just left just enough room to, to get the milk in there. Went over to the refrigerator. And when I opened it up and reached for the milk, I became grieved. Do you know what? No milk. I was frustrated, angry, and very disappointed. Why can I exude emotion? Because I have a personality. Why do I have a personality? Because I'm a person. How does the Holy Spirit exude emotion? Because He has a personality. Why does He have a personality? Listen to me, folks. Because He is a person, He's not an idiot. But a he. The Bible says that he can be grieved, but the Bible also says that he can exude, <coughs> listen to me now, joy. Can you say amen? I am so thankful this morning that the Holy Spirit produces joy. He exudes joy in the heart and life of a believer through the life 
of the believer. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 14, verse number 17, a very important, powerful verse. The Bible says there that the kingdom of God is not what you eat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This morning, I am thankful that the Holy Spirit exudes joy. Joy is an emotion. And if He exudes emotion, He has a personality. And if He has a personality, that must mean He is a person. So the first thing that I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit is a person. But you also need to understand and know that the Holy Spirit, He is God. And He's just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. See, what the Bible teaches about God is that we have a God who has a triune nature. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, we have one God who reveals Himself to us in three distinct personalities. Sometimes we call that the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it's very hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Matter of fact, I think it's really impossible for us to fully wrap our minds around that. I've heard all kinds of different explanations trying to explain the Holy Trinity, trying to explain the triune nature of God. I've heard, you know, that it's kind of like water. You've got water who, uh, that can have three forms. It can have a, a liquid form. It can have a solid form, which is ice. Or it can, have, uh, it can be a gas, which is water vapor. Now, all of those are H2O, but they uh, can be shown in three different forms. I think that comes pretty close to explaining what the, uh, the Holy Trinity is. At least that helps me to understand it. But I still don't think that gets to the bottom of it. I don't, still don't think that uh, explains it fully. And, and again, I don't think it's even possible for us who are finite to explain fully that which is infinite. And that's, that's the problem we have with Explaining fully the truth concerning the Trinity. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love how he put it. Yeah, I love how he put a lot of things. But he said that to explain the Holy Trinity, you would lose your mind. Our finite minds are just not big enough, just not complex enough to explain that which is infinite. So he says, to explain it, you would lose your mind. You're never going to logically work out in your feeble mind who God is in His fullness. I don't think we'll ever be able to do that while we're still in this flesh. One day we will see Him just as He is. Can you say amen? One day we will be just as He is in our glorified bodies. And I think in that time, all of our questions will be answered. But as for right now... We have to take truth that we can't fully explain by faith. Can you say amen? The truth concerning the Trinity is something that must be taken by faith. Faith, mind you, that is bound, backed up fully by evidence. Now, how many of you know there's a lot of evidence of God the Holy Spirit? And we'll talk about that as we go, go along. But the truth concerning the Holy Trinity, the truth concerning the triune nature of God must be taken by faith. What does the Scripture say concerning the Trinity? Well, the Bible says that God being triune in His nature created the heavens and the earth. And we see it in Genesis 1.1. You remember, the Bible said there in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe it, say Amen. So we know God the Father was there at creation. But guess who else was at creation? 
God the Son. John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, John describing Jesus said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by Him. So who do we have at creation? We've got God the Father according to Genesis 1-1, but we've also got uh, God the Son according to John 1, 1-3. But then you go back to Genesis chapter 1. Verse number 2, the Bible says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And watch this now. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So what we have at creation is God revealing Himself in three distinct personalities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you believe it, say amen this morning. So... God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father. Just as much God as God the Son. He should be revered, reverenced, and worshipped as God. He is not an it, but a he. He's a person. He is God. Not only do we see God the Holy Spirit at creation, but how many of you know God the Holy Spirit plays a major role in salvation? How many of you understand this morning that God the Father planned salvation? You remember when Jesus walked upon the earth? He said, all these things I'm doing, I'm doing them because that's what my Heavenly Father has told me to do. He was being obedient to the will of the Father in everything that He did. In His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. His finished work was planned by God the Father in eternity past. That's what the Scripture teaches. That Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before what? The foundation of the world. It's amazing. God the Father planned salvation. Let me give you a great verse for my favorite. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. It says, for He, meaning God the Father, hath made Him, meaning God the Son, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin there on the cross. What that means is, my sin and your sin was placed upon the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God there at the cross, and He shed His blood so that our sins might be forgiven. He paid the price. But, listen, He, God the Father, hath made, everybody say made, Him, God the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So how many of you believe this morning, it was God the Father who planned salvation? But now listen, it was God the Son who purchased salvation. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter number 6? I believe it's about verse number 7. The scripture tells us that we who are blood-bought born again have been bought with a price. That we are no longer our own. What does it mean that we've been bought with a price? I've told you this before, 
I'm going to keep telling you because it's such a blessing to think about it. How many of you know salvation has always been free? Salvation is available to everyone, anyone who will receive it by grace through faith. It is God's gift to you, to me, to a lost and dying world. Salvation is free, but you need to understand it's never been cheap. It cost the life of the Son of God and God the Son. It was Jesus who paid for our salvation there at the cross. If God is truly holy, righteous, and just, then He cannot just sweep sin under the rug. Sin had to be paid for. And the only way sin could be paid for is if it was paid for completely and totally righteously. And the only way it could be paid for righteously and justly, listen, is if that who had the, he who had no sin went and took the punishment for my sin and for yours. Only Jesus could do that. For only Jesus was born perfect. Only Jesus lived perfectly. Only Jesus could be sacrificed for us. You need to understand salvation is free, but it certainly wasn't cheap. It was planned by God the Father. It was paid for by God the Son. But how many of you know, listen to me now, it's performed by God the Holy Spirit. How many of you understand this morning that salvation is a work of God the Holy Spirit? I'm just glad that we get to be, get, get in on it, but it's, it's Him who does the work. We, we looked at it last week, if you remember, in John chapter 16 and verse number 8. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will convince or excuse me, reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And we said that word reprove means to convince or convict. And what God the Holy Spirit does is convince us, convict us of our sin and our need for a Savior. He convinces us, He convicts us, listen to me now, of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that can be made real to us by faith. And then He convinces us, He convicts us, listen to me now, that this world has already been judged and the God of it, Satan himself, has already been judged. So it's God the Holy Spirit who begins performing that work and completing the work of salvation. In creation, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In salvation, we see God revealing Himself in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God who reveals Himself in three distinct personalities. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Now, in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and then in chapter number 17, we see what's called by Bible scholars the upper room discourse. This is the last moments that Jesus spent with the disciples who were the closest to Him. His followers. Those He had called to be His apostles. Those that He would use to go forth and turn the world upside down with the Gospel. It's in these last moments Jesus preached some of the most amazing, powerful messages that you're ever going to read. It would be great this week if you took the time to read John 14, 
John 15, John 16, and John 17. I promise you, it'll be a blessing to you. If you're looking for a good quiet time, that would be great this week for you. But in these uh, verses, and in those chapters, we see Jesus giving us the truth about the Holy Spirit. Not only who He is, but also what He does. So we've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit. Four things are outlined for us in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. When Jesus is speaking of God the Holy Spirit. What I want to do this morning is deal with one of them today. We'll deal with the other three next week. First of all, God the Holy Spirit restores the presence of Jesus in us. Look what the Bible teaches. John 14. Let's look down. Verse number 16. John 14. Let's just start with verse 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said what? Let me ask you something. What is a good litmus test of whether or not you truly love Jesus? I mean, is it, is it a good litmus test to, hey, um, just coming to a church service? Is, is that what well, Jesus does command us to come to church? Y'all know that, don't you? So that is part of his commandments, but it goes much deeper than that. It's not about just coming to a church. It's being the church. Amen? And Jesus said, if you truly love me, what you're going to do is, is do what I say. That's the true test. And so we all have to take inventory in our own personal life. Look, am I really loving Jesus? And I know I'm loving Jesus if I'm doing what He's told me to do. Now praise God for grace. Can you say amen? All of us need grace and mercy daily because none of us fully Always do what Jesus says to do. But there should be evidence of us keeping His commandments, doing what He wants if we say we love Him. There should be a pattern of our life. If you love me, keep my commandments. Look at the very next verse, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. There's two words that I want us to pay close attention to in this verse. The first one is the word another. There, in, in the Greek language, it's pretty cool, man, because you can actually say exactly what you mean. And, and when it comes to the word another, Greek scholars tell us that you could say another in two different ways. Another of, a, of the same kind or another of a different kind. I want you to think about this. Let's just say we were talking about uh, transportation, getting from point A to point B. And you say, well, I, I've got, um, I, I, I get from where I, from where I want to go from point A to point B uh, by a bicycle. Now, how many of you know, if I ride a bicycle and you ride a horse, that's two completely different kinds of transportation. And so what you would use in that case, if you were speaking in Greek, is that's another of a different kind. But that's not what it says right here. The word used here when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another comforter, it's one 
of the same kind, a, a different, but of the same kind. Are you getting it? So there is distinction in the Godhead. Listen to me now. There is a God the Father, there is God the Son, there is God the Holy Spirit. All three distinct, different personalities revealing the same God. Are you getting me? Now listen to me. Jesus said, I'm going to send one back just like myself. Another one like me. Praise the Lord. He said, I'm going to do that. Because I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to give you a comforter. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. And when he comes, listen to me now, he's going to abide with you forever. Go to the next verse. Watch this. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth, watch this, with you, and shall be in you. Everybody see that? Listen to me, folks. The Apostle Paul said that we have a treasure in earthen vessels. He's speaking about the person of God, the Holy Spirit, that dwells in each and every believer. Why is this so important? All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit at work. Matter of fact, you would see many times the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a specific reason at a specific time. And he would come upon them and then you would see the work be done and then the Spirit would not be on them anymore. You see that over and over and over again all throughout the Old Testament. But now what this is saying, what Jesus is promising, I'm going to send one back just like myself, another of the same kind, that is going to be with you. But he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you and he's going to abide with you forever. The Apostle Paul, which is great commentary on, uh, on John chapter number 14, he says that, listen to me now, we are sealed with the precious Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That means when God the Holy Spirit comes in and sets up residence within the heart and life of a believer, He does not leave. He will not leave. He's in you forever. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verses 16 and 17. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Watch what this says. Paul says here, know you not that ye are the temple of God. And let me ask you a question. What, what does it mean when the Bible says we are God's temple? Well, where, where does God stay? Where does God dwell? In the temple. Amen. 
And so the picture he's painting is that we are God's dwelling place. He is in us. Know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You need to understand, folks, that if you are a blood-bought, born-again believer, you have the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Dr. Adrian Rogers said it like this. He said the Holy Spirit equals Christ in the Christian. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. This morning, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, been born again in the family of God, you are indwelled with the person of God the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. You hear me telling you? Give me that verse, Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30 says that we need to be careful as believers to never grieve God the Holy Spirit. If He becomes frustrated, angry, disappointed, and He dwells in us, then it's very possible, matter of fact probable, that we too will become frustrated, angry, disappointed. Many times we forfeit the joy of the Lord that He has promised us. Many times we forfeit the peace of God that He has purchased for us. Many times we miss out on the abundant life He has promised us Simply because we are continually grieving the Holy Spirit that is in us. When I reach for the milk to pour on my cinnamon toast crunch, and there was only about that much in the bottom of the jug, I became grieved because of the actions of my three children. See, all you've got to do when the milk is empty is put the jug in the garbage. For if you don't put the jug in the garbage, whoever's going to buy groceries, they may not even realize we need milk. Because of the actions of my children, I was grieved. You say, Rosa, you know, you don't drink that milk too? Well, probably. I probably had a hand in it. But I'm just saying, it is because of our actions that our Heavenly Father, who dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, He becomes grieved. When we live in unconfessed sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we allow our minds to be plagued with worry, doubt. And you know what? Worry's ugly cousin. You know who that is, don't you? Well, that's fear. When you worry, you usually worry because of fear, or worry produces fear. 
But they, they go hand in hand. Worry, fear, and doubt is a lack of faith. And when we have a lack of faith, guess what that does? That grieves the Holy Spirit. And if He's grieved, and He lives within us, then we too walk in grief and forfeit the joy, the peace, and the abundant life that we've been promised. The work of the Holy Spirit is to restore the presence of Jesus in the believer. If you believe it, see Everybody stand together this here today you've not yet made the decision to trust in Christ the Savior then why not today you've heard me say this morning that when you choose to by faith trust in Jesus you are then indwelled with God himself folks I want you to think about that just So many times we take that for granted. The one who spoke the world into existence lives in me. And he promises that he'll never leave nor forsake you. He promises that he will listen to me now Partner with me with whatever life throws at me. Jesus told his disciples, he said, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what it means to be yoked together with Jesus? Just like a yoke of oxen. You put a two oxen and a yoke. Both of them are working together to get the job done. Now the good news is, Jesus says, take my yoke. Get yoked up with me. And your burden's going to be easy. Why? Because he carries most of the load. And then he tells us, cast your care upon him. For he cares for us. All of that is made possible with a relationship with Christ. You can know God. You can experience Christ in you and the person of the Holy Spirit. You can have the abundant life which is eternal life. If you've not yet made the decision to trust in Jesus, why not this morning? Don't wait. If you are a believer, you know you've been born again, but you also know you've grieved the Holy Spirit because of actions, attitudes, addictions, whatever that might be in your life that you know God's not pleased with. Let me encourage you to do this. Don't spend one more minute forfeiting the joy that is yours in Christ. Don't spend one more minute forfeiting the peace that's already been paid for. Don't spend one more minute with unconfessed sin in your life, 
grieving the Holy Spirit, because if He's grieved, you'll be grieved as well. He's in you. He's in you. This morning, whatever you need, let this be your altar. I'd love to pray with you, pray for you. It's always a great privilege as your pastor to be able to do something. Whatever you stand in need of this morning, this invitation is for you.